America. Welcome to your nation. I am the Chief Mark Garrett. So happy to have you here today. You know what? Uh, and half of me, you're sitting back there behind the camera, behind the scenes, making me look as good as possible, which is not good. I said as good as possible, right? Keyword. So basically the phrase falching turd uh, comes in to mind, I think. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, folks, we are growing. And, um, you know, with Anthony's help here, I've been learning about social media, been learning about reels, you know, things I didn't know until fairly recently. Still don't know a lot, but I know enough about them now to realize the importance of communication and, and keeping information out there, um, putting up new stuff. And that's how I've learned over the years, whatever capacity, whether it's working with, you know, my colleagues, my patrol or just reading, but information and exchange of ideas helps us all learn and grow, become better and feeling. And one thing I've really started getting engaged with, you know, based on the amount of time I have or the comments that so many of you have been sending, whether it's through YouTube or Instagram, and a lot of support, which of course any human would love. I, I love the, the support. I love the insights a lot of people send. But of course, kind of in this role now, we get a lot of detractors too. We get a lot of pushback and I love it. I love it because it forces me to go ahead and reassess my positions and it allows me to share those insights with the detractors. Let me give you an example, just one. This was, uh, this was from one of the reels from, uh, one of our, our full podcasts, just talking about responsibility. Look, if you don't want to get stopped by the cops, don't do X, Y, Z. You don't want, don't want to go to jail. Don't break certain laws. So on and so on. One of the comments I got. It goes like this. How about getting pulled over being compliant, you misspelled it, compliant, but illegally searched, mostly in neighborhood, mostly neighborhoods of color looking for something. But you will find just as much drugs and pills in the nice neighborhoods. They fill up those prisons with nonviolent offenders most of the time from a compliant traffic stop. You and the cops can't see the big picture being played out. And I responded to this person. They asked him, what do you mean by the big picture? Not, not sure what you mean by that. And we went back and forth a couple of times. But the point of this is this person's assertion, they're claiming their belief that people, not just in California, you pick a state, that people who are arrested for low-level drug offenses Sometimes those offenses even being technically felonies in the book, depending on whether they're drugs for sale or a certain amount of drugs or drugs combined with a certain amount of cash, uh, other paraphernalia, the key misdemeanors or felonies, depending on jurisdiction, certainly the state, the different states. But the assertion, the belief that first time drug offenders end up in state prison. As a matter of fact, according to this person here, that the state prisons are filled, quoting, filled with these low-level drug offenders. Look, 
I don't know how many drug arrests I made in the, I don't know, probably 13 years, actually, I patrolled for the California Fire Patrol before I went into supervision and, and management. But just personally, I, I can't tell you how many drug offense arrests that I made. Look, when you stop, when you stop cars for a living, you find everything in cars. You find guns, you find kidnapped victims, you find domestic violence victims, you find guns. Did I say that? Drugs. You find identity theft, uh, uh, criminals, forgers, uh, you name it. Uh, warrant arrests for murderers from another state. You find everything. Because one thing you find about cars is that criminals use them just as much as the other 90% uh the citizens of this country so i have a little bit of knowledge i put a little bit in quotes about what this person is talking about and i can tell you and that person with all due respect they don't know what they're talking about the idea that hardly any of those people that i arrested ended up in state prison for a first time or a second time or a third time drug offense is preposterous. It doesn't happen. It doesn't even happen that you end up in state prison, at least in California, for serious first-time felonies or sometimes second-time felonies. Often it's county jail for a number of months. You know, it's 11 months and, and 15 days in order to stay out of state prison. State prison in California means you're convicted of felony for a year or more sentence, to put it short. Anything under that is telling jail. It just doesn't happen. It is not true. You can look up the stats yourself. Don't take Mark Garrett's word for it. You look and find out how many people are actually in prison for anything in a state, let alone low-level drug use, usage, or possession, or even sales, folks. There's something to be said about debating people from a position of honesty and transparency and acknowledging just what is true. And then we can take our positions and say, okay, this is true, this is true, this is true. Now I want to tell you what my philosophy is, why I disagree with that policy, that law, that rule, and you know, I want to change it. That's all fine. You can say I don't want any drug offenders ever going to even county jail. That's fine to position, but at least let's acknowledge what the truth is. Let's seek out what the facts are, what the reality is, and then we can have honest debates about what to do with your problem, why your solution is better than mine, or vice versa. But when you say something that's absolutely provably not true, we don't have a jumping off spot. We don't have a place to begin an honest debate. And we're never going to move forward. And we're going to keep seeing crime increase at ridiculous rates if we don't acknowledge what the problems are. So after I have an exchange with this person who I appreciate watches us and listens to us, I just by chance happened to get this article from a former colleague of mine in the California Highway Patrol. As a matter of fact, he was my boss at one time. And uh, since he's retired as well, and he sends out a lot of interesting articles. And this one, man, it was like a godsend uh, relating to this exchange that I had with this listener of the podcast. 
And I'm going to read, uh, I think I'll read most of it to you. It's kind of interesting. It actually rolls into another topic that I want to talk about before we end today's podcast. So this article, what was it from? It was actually, you know, just uh, here early June 2023. And it says, uh, the title of it is, I was a California cop. Words can't describe the horrors I saw. I'm happily flipping my pages here because I think I have to go back to Costco to get a new prescription. Um, I mean, it's nice because Anthony's face back there is blurry. So that's actually a relief for me because if it's in focus, it's kind of scary. But for reading, I probably need some new glasses. So I got this bit print here, folks, so I can actually read uh, as well as my ability allows. I was a cop in Oceanside, California for over a decade. It's a town of around 170,000 people in North San Diego County, where I live uh, here for my entire life. We have had 12 documented violent street gangs, and two of our police officers were murdered in separate incidents by gang members in 2003 and 2006. In 2000, California voters approved the Substance Abuse and Crime Prevention Act, which mandated that courts offer a drug treatment program to people arrested for felony drug possession of drugs, including meth, heroin, and cocaine. Offenders who choose treatment, I'm sorry, who chose treatment over prison were enrolled in drug court, a specialized court doc docket program aimed at criminal defendants convicted of drug offense, which I feel was actually pretty effective. Those who chose prison instead of treatment were usually out in six months with good behavior, while arrested narcotics dealers often have their dealing charges reduced to simple possession and were offered drug court. Folks, I responded to this listener about the lack of first-time or even second-time drug offenders going to state prison. And contrary to what he or she believes, I'm not sure if it's male or female, they may not be sure either. Oh, that's a joke. But here it talks about even drugs for sale. Convicted criminals didn't go to state prison. By and large, thanks to this new act, which I feel was used very liberally by DAs, the percentage of simple drug possession offenders in prison in California was pretty low at the time. This is not a former officer whom I've met, never heard of the guy before, but this email from my former colleague came just the right time. I tell you this so you know. I research this stuff. I learned through experience 30 years of law enforcement, um, of which I speak. Essentially, there was nobody wasting away in prison for a first time drug offense. However, I often arrested the same person for possession of meth multiple times, and they were offered drug court every time. Did you hear what I just read? This is a guy talking about his personal experience. He arrested the same person for meth possession, by the way, not money, meth possession 
over and over and over. And that person didn't end up in state prison. How do we know that? Because the officer kept arresting him over and over and over. By definition, state prison means you're in there for a year or more. And this person, this officer obviously saw these, these people a lot more frequently than that would allow. Quite a few people chose prison instead of drug court. Gee, why? Let me tell you. They loved meth more than anything. And for them, six months inside wasn't a big deal. They could still obtain drugs while incarcerated. And we've all seen those documentaries about the drug trade in prison. We know that's true. I have a very close relative who was a California prison guard, and he can attest to that fact. I was frequently told by those I arrested that it's very easy to keister drugs or hide them in your butt to get them inside prison when full body scanners aren't used to screen for it. In 2014, voters approved the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act, which reduced all nonviolent felony drug possession charges to misdemeanors. All. The new act also raised the amount thieves could steal before it was a felony from $400 to $950 and got rid of the felony charge for serial petty thieves. Safe? I find that ironic. And he's talking about the word safe in the State Neighborhoods and Schools Act. Again, you know, I've talked about certain politicians talking about talking out of every side of their mouth and every orifice in their body. When you see safe schools, neighborhoods, blah, 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 in California, you can be assured it's pretty much just the opposite. That's what we have here. We were told by advocates of the new legislation that there were hordes of people locked away forever for simply having drugs or stealing a lollipop. I'm going to keep going back to this. I told you so. Those of you who are listening and believe or claim that people are going to state prison, for drug possession, it's it's a lie. It's not true. Here's another officer from a small police department here, 120 miles away from me, who says exactly the same thing. See, he and I have the experience. Those of you who want to make claims just because you've heard something, you believe something, you're angry at law enforcement, you have every right to do so. You have the right to your opinion. But everybody has the right to see the facts and know them. Take advantage of that right, please. Prior to the legislation, if a serial thief had been found guilty three times and served one day in jail for each of those arrests, then they could finally be charged with a felony on the fourth arrest. That bar was so high that I rarely arrested someone who qualified maybe three times in 11 years. So contrary to what these advocates told us, there wasn't anybody languishing in prison unless they were extremely an extremely uh, prolific thief. Drug users and theft of all kinds go together. Not only did they make it easier to use meth, I believe we made it much safer for users to steal. And know this for a fact that a lot of the retail theft we see Home burglaries, auto burglaries are simply there to fuel an addiction. They go hand in hand. In California, the majority of misdemeanor offenses require the arresting officer to cite and release the arrested person. So whether it's heroin, meth, or cocaine, after this legislation, 
we say, here's your lucky ticket, buddy. Have a nice day. Before this new law, drug acts in California, who are now often seen in public living in tents, used to get arrested and be gone for six months. It was rinse and repeat, with those who chose prison often being out for a very short time before going back. They could opt for treatment at any time, but chose not to. They were not living in tents perpetually with no fear of repercussions as they do now. I continually read in our media that all of the homeless camps we see in California now are due to high housing costs. I do not agree with that. I spent years working 12 and a half hour shifts, day after day, interacting with the homeless notion side. I'm a compassionate person, probably because I've struggled to manage type 1 diabetes my entire life. I've shared my watch with the homeless, heard their stories, uh, spent my own money on, on a hotel room for a family, and much more. Sounds like a great guy here, folks. This sounds like a person who really gives a damn about the community that he served. This is my conclusion. I'm quoting him. Lack of affordable housing is a problem, but it's not why we have such a huge increase in homeless camps and mentally ill people in California. I believe we have a massive drug addiction crisis and no longer any tools to force anybody to change. Accountability. Accountability. Consequences for bad behavior. They are diminishing at a rapid rate in the state and across this country, unfortunately. This man is absolutely right. We also have a huge mental health crisis and no tools to force them into treatment. Meth use and, men uh, meth use and mental illness are peas in a pod. So many of the people I took in for mental health goals in 5150 told me their mental health deteriorated. Guess what? When they started using the drug. This is so obvious, it should be obvious to anybody with two brain cells, but unfortunately it's not. And often it's least obvious to the people that we elect and put in positions of power to implement these types of ridiculous laws. This officer so, so well articulates. I've had parents sobbing, including with me, to commit their mentally ill, homeless adult children on a 5150 hold. And all I could tell them was, tell them was, I'm sorry. But because of these uh, insane criteria we have, I'd be violating your kids' civil rights, and I can't risk losing everything I own by doing that. This is a position that people in the state of California and so many other states have put our cops in. This is the position. People I legitimately placed on 5150 holds were almost always released from the hospital after a few hours, a day at the most. I would literally watch these mentally ill people die on the streets. There aren't words to describe the horrors I saw, and yet, in my opinion, civil rights and advocates continue to stand in the way of reform. So here I am in 21st century California, no longer able to take my little ones exploring natural areas as I did as a kid right here in Oceanside. All of the natural areas I roamed here as a child are now filled with drug addicts and tents. Our hillsides have been plagued with environmental destruction, 
from human waste and trash and violence perpetrated by the inhabitants of the camps on each other. And that's a great, great point this officer makes, this retired officer makes. It's not just about the random violence people might commit, uh, commit on general society, but the most vulnerable people and the people who suffer the most are other people in these homeless encampments. The sexual assaults, the rapes, the murders, the theft, of course. This is the problem. These people are down, out, and out, out again. They're becoming victims of the policies that so-called leaders from the state are implementing. We are building more affordable housing and treatment centers. Great. It's very much needed. But in my view, they will not make a noticeable difference in our current situation because most of the people in those tents have what they want in life. Cheap, easy access to meth and freedom. I acknowledge that Oceanside has much, has very much improved in the 1980s and 1990s when my classmates were being murdered by drive-by shootings. In fact, I never thought it would improve this much, but I also see us sliding down a slippery slope back toward the muck from which we arose. We frequent, I'm sorry, when frequent drive-by shootings echo deep uh, through Deep Valley, you could hear, I'm sorry, let me start that again, but I also see us sliding down the slippery slope back down towards the muck from which we rose when frequent drive-by shootings echoed through Deep Valley. You could buy shirts with ocean slime on them, quote-unquote, and hookers and pimps, gangsters and dealers were seemingly everywhere downtown. I'm still here, now with my young children in our public schools, I pray for them that they won't experience the ocean side of my youth. The town so many of my friends fled from the first chance they got never to return. That article does two things, ladies and gentlemen. It, it along with my initial response to some of the people uh, with comments, it, it refutes these claims about our prisons being filled with drug users. It's obviously not true. The article touches on something else as well about that gentleman, that officer has made a decision to remain in California. And it's a decision that I applaud him for because we have to fight wherever we are. And everyone has to make their own decisions about strategies. How do we fight back? How do we turn this wave, reverse this wave of anti-law enforcement sentiment and, and crappy leaders in law enforcement? Elected officials who are just part of the problem. What do we do? Some people choose to stand their ground where they are in the worst circumstances. Other people have a philosophy of, you know what, we have to regroup with like-minded people, we have to go ahead and, and reset. We have to fall back, build our lines, and do what we can from there to fight back for the entire country. I have to say I'm in that latter group. And my family and I have made a decision that we're gonna leave California. If you had talked to me about this five years ago, I told you I'll definitely leave California. But at least one thing has changed. 
Nine years ago, I had my first child. Yes, I'm 60 years old. Got a late start. Fortunately, I found a beautiful, lovely, uh, and an amazing woman to marry me. Um, I do question our judgment because of that. But together, we are raising what we believe is a wonderful child. And over the last four or five years, we've come to the conclusion that we need to put him in a place that is most likely to give him a great foundation to thrive and to appreciate the freedoms that he has and, and to live, to grow up, to live in a balanced community and where schools will teach him truly right from wrong and things that are important like reading, writing, and arithmetic and American history, civics. We don't think we can do it for him here in California. If we didn't have a kid, I've got to be honest with you, I, I probably, you know, at this point, I might stick it out here and fight. Fight behind enemy lines, so to speak. But because of our child, we made the decision that we're going to go ahead and regroup. We're going to reset. We're going to look out for him. And I'll talk to you more about that, about where we're going, what we're doing. And... In, in the future. Matter of fact, I'll tell you right now, you know, Anthony, on very early podcasts, we spoke with uh, Sheriff Atkinson. Yes, Walton County. Walton County, Florida. And that's where we're going. And I'll talk to you more about that. And there, there are a couple of things. I mean, that conversation is, is one of the conversations. We already made the decision, but it really solidified it, it really bolstered our decision when I got to speak with, with Sheriff, Sheriff Atkinson. And he talked about you. If you watched that episode, and, and Anthony, I want to put a quote about a couple of things here before we leave. He talked about a couple of things with hit with his department, Walton County Sheriff's Department. Talked about two things: holding criminals accountable, crushing criminal activity at its earliest stages, at its most minor stages. Not letting things get out of the hand. It's so impressive. You don't hear that here. You don't hear that in many states. But this man takes his job seriously. He takes his oath seriously to uphold the law. And he lives in a state where actually laws are respected. The other thing he talked about was the accountability he imposes on the people who work for him. And those are two things that we can just real quick, just go ahead and run that right now. And I'll come back. I really want you to talk about how, as a sheriff, how, as a department, you see, quote unquote, low level crime and how you deal with and what the effects are. So, so listen, quality of life initiatives, um, you know, it's certainly not my idea. It's certainly not new. You know, yeah, many of us have been around long enough. Remember the old broken pain uh, theory of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Just because it's old doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right. And, and our, our philosophy is that when if you want people to come to Walton County, if I'm trying to get the chief here to come and buy a home in, in Walton County, uh, you got you got to have to have four things. Right. Which is you have to have good roads, good infrastructure, good schools for our children, uh, good health care hospitals. And people have to feel safe and quality of life initiatives, loud music, disorderly conduct, graffiti, all those things that are not uh, sexy, if you will. For, for many organizations, they undermine the rule of law, 
when they're not enforced and they undermine the quality of life of people that live in these communities. Now, I'm not talking about jackbooted thugs. What I'm talking about is a reasonable response and thoughtful attention to detail that everything matters. You know, I, I had a lieutenant years ago I'll never at the Tallahassee Police Department, Mark Wheeler. A young patrol officer was beside me and check on, and we were just complaining about the state of the world. And and uh, this young officer said, you know, I'm tired of going to this noise complaint. You know, we should be out catching bad guys. Not only this noise complaint. And I remember this lieutenant, you know, big SWAT guy, attack attack guy. And he said, you know what? He said, officer, let me explain something to you. He said, you don't understand this right now. He said, but at two o'clock in the morning when your baby can't sleep and your wife has to get up, go to work tomorrow and she's crying, you haven't slept all night. There is nothing more important to you than that noise complaint. And it just resonated with me because that was a guy that had been around and knew that there is nothing more. When, when you don't have peace in your home, you don't have peace in your neighborhoods. Uh, it, it, it just creates a tension and it creates a sense of I can do whatever I want. And, you know, we're 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 not going to tolerate that, you know, and, and interesting enough. So we talk about spring break specifically. We're not a traditional spring break destination. We're not um, the old Daytona Beach, if you will, back in back in the day or Fort Lauderdale spring break. But about 10 years ago, we had. For whatever reason, we had gotten discovered by a, a lot of the, fr the fraternities and sororities and, and the schools across the Southeast. And traditionally, we were not that type of environment because, quite frankly, it's too expensive to vacation here to do that. So, you know, $10,000 a week rooms, we were not prepared for college kids coming in and doing that. So year one, we there was kind of a, a nationalized effort across the Southeast, at least, to make the Sandestin Destin area a, a spring break destination, meet up in Destin kind of deal. And it caught us off guard because we were not familiar with that. And so we issued, you know, an obscene amount of notice to appears, which are essentially summons. I don't know what they call it in California, but basically you, you're getting this rest. But we get well, we found this. These kids all had disposable incomes. It was a right. badge of honor. They were making their TikToks with it. They were doing, you know, this a little bit before TikTok. But, you know, they were taking their pictures, posting, oh, yeah, I'll be back, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, this is clearly not working. <laughs> so we're going to try something else. And we developed what we call the rule of three, which is every underage possession of alcohol the next year goes to the Walton County Jail. Now, we don't take them in back and put them with hardened felons and, you know, or things like that. But what we did is make them drive 65 miles to the county jail, and it took three of their friends and GPS to find it, which ruined a whole night. And it after we arrested about 1,000, amazingly, Chief, over the next year or two, we, we started choking this problem down. And I think now we arrest on average that we actually have to take less than 100 because we just we deal with it. Now, we're, we're actually facing a new challenge now, which is, and it's a sign of our time, is in our really high-end vacation year, we have people coming, and it's their 13, 14, 15-year-olds. Well, you got to handle those kids entirely different. Handling a juvenile, as you well know, is a, a different animal. So we're, you know, we're, there's always adjusting challenges, but the, the thing about it is we adhere to the belief that quality of life initiatives and, and, and law enforcement speaks to the overall health of a community. You show me a community that won't arrest for a petty theft, or retail theft, or disorderly intoxication, and all that. And I'll show you a place with homeless problems. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's the environment that I want my child to grow up in. I want him 
to understand that when a police officer tells him to do something, he does it, whether he likes it or not. And then afterwards, he can bitch, moan, complain, follow complaint, come to me, cry, whatever. But when he's contacted by law enforcement, law enforcement has a final word during that time. That's the environment that I want him to grow up in. But quite frankly, that's the environment where I want to live my final days in. So we all make our decisions for our own reasons. Again, those people who are staying here and fighting and staying certain fates and fighting when they can there absolutely needs to be done. For us, we're going to take a different strategy and we're going to go ahead and hold the other end. And, and together, I think from both sides, we can and we will, we have to make a change. So with that said, we're going to talk more about Florida in the future and certainly want to get down there. I'm really excited about doing some episodes down there. I'm sure we'll have the sheriff back on. Anthony, we'll have you down there. Again, I won't let my neighbors see you come to the house because they actually may want me to move out once they find out the kind of people I associate with. But that's that's another podcast. Um, speaking of podcasts, folks, we are so happy. We're so proud. Do not forget you can find us every place. Apple, Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We are growing. We're growing because you're watching. We love it. Keep the comments coming. I will respond as many as I can. Can't get every single one of them, but I'm so excited that you guys are engaged. I'll do my best to say the same. So with that, God bless you. Keep the faith. Keep fighting for what you know is right. Look forward to talking to you next time.